How many of you guys believe that God wants a generational blessing? The older generation pouring into the younger, the younger pouring into the older, that that's part of God's plan. Who would say amen? So a lot of times when we talk about it, we talk about the wisdom of the old mixing with the zeal of the young. But there's some older people that actually their zeal sets a fire in the rest of us. Sandy Fox is one of those people. If you know Sandy, she is a fireball. And Sandy came to me a couple weeks ago with a word that God had been just burning on her heart. She had written it down. It's really powerful. And I believe it's a, it's a word for the, for the church. I, I believe Sandy is a Caleb. For those that don't know, Caleb was one of the original spies that went into the land to spy it out at the promised land that God had promised. And he was the one that came back and said, hey, this is good. We can do this. But Israel didn't listen to him. So he wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. When he was 85, they go into the promised land. And he gets, he gets there. Joshua's starting to give the land to people. And Caleb interrupts him and says, hey, God has promised me some land. And and I, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna take it. I'm 85, but I'm as young as I was 40 years ago. And he went and he had that passion to walk in the promises of the Lord. And, and I believe that Sandy Sandy has that. So let's give Sandy a hand as she comes up. God, we thank you for Sandy. Thank you for your word and pray that you'd bless, bless your word, open our hearts to hear your word. Pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Last year, I don't know, a lot of you might have known that I was very sick, and I did a lot of sleeping. God kept bringing this vision or dream to me, and he was getting a little irritated because I don't know what it was about. I knew what it was about, but I didn't know what he wanted me to do with it. So finally one day, I asked him, I said, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? And after a couple of times, I heard his voice say, I want you to share it. And of course, <laughs> you know how I like to get up there. <laughs> so after I got through with my laughing and realized that he was serious, so here I am being obedient, okay? Now, uh, I'm going to read most of this because if I don't, I'm going to get off on rabbit trails, you know, and that's really easy, okay? So now, I don't want you to, I want you to relax, but I don't want you to relax too much, okay? I don't want you to pretend you're in your recliner at home, okay? <laughs> so uh, anyway, here goes. I'm go like I said, I'm going to read this. The story is called... The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. It's a short story of a little girl I've known most of my life. This little girl came from a non-Christian, dysfunctional family. Her father was well-respected, a hard worker in Boeing Airplane Company. He could do the work it took to remodel a house. He could repair cars, but he had a dark side. Her mother was very talented in all the things a housewife should do but she too had a dark side. 
In the good times, the family did a lot of fun things like uh, fishing, hunting, and camping. From the outside, you would never think there was anything wrong. When the little girl was close to school age, they put her in school even though she was going to be a year younger and the smallest one in the class. She made it through kindergarten, first, second, and third grade. She remembers being put in a class with the kids that were slow readers. All the teachers passed her from grade to grade, not identifying that something was wrong. Fourth grade, things got even harder for her and simple things didn't make sense most of the time. Fifth grade was more difficult than the year before. The teachers decided on a couple of things that they made harder for her to cope with school. Her family lived in a very rich community. Her classmates that came from these families were extremely smart with high grades in the 90s to 100. The teachers would have the kids stand up and give their scores out loud to the teacher so the teacher could put their grades in the books. The little girl would feel so bad because her grades were always in the 10s, 15, and 20s. Her classmates would laugh, smirk, and make negative remarks that hurt her even more. The other thing the teachers did at the time that they thought was a good idea would pick two captains, and each captain would then take turns picking who they wanted on their team, and the little girl would be the last one standing by herself in the majority of the time. And she would hear, well, I guess we're gonna have to take her. Once again, the kids would laugh and make fun of her. She was still in her world of hurt and no one caught that she could read. They just passed her on to the next grade. Sixth grade, new people started moving into her neighborhood. Two of the new girls at school started picking on her, bullying her and calling her names. They took her mittens, her hats, her sweaters, her gloves, whatever they could, threw them into the blackberry bushes where she couldn't get them. When she got home with that, without them, her mother would yell at her, call her names, and proceed to beat her. Between sixth and seventh grade, though, her folks bought her a small pocket-sized book about the stars and the, and the planets. She, she loved that book. She loved that book more than any other book. And her dad would read it to her and talk about it, and she learned what each picture was. She studied that book from cover to cover. Seventh class, seventh grade class, science. Yes, science. The teacher asked if anyone knew the difference between a meteor and a comet. And the little girl was amazed. She did. But she had never raised her hand in class before. So the kids raised their hands and the teacher called on each one of them to give their answer. And the little girl was shocked when her hand went up. To the surprise of the kids and the teacher, the teacher called on her. Before she even gave her answer, she heard the remarks and saw the rolling of eyes. After she gave her answer, again, she heard more remarks and put downs because her answer was so different. The teacher ended up asking the rest of the kids in the class and they all gave the same answer as the ones before, which was completely different than her answer. Then the teacher came back to the little girl, asked her if she wanted to change her answer. She looked at the teacher and she looked at the kids. For a few seconds she temp was tempted and thought, maybe, maybe if I changed my answer they'd like me. 
be my friend and not make fun of me. She wanted it so badly, but then she realized she'd have to lie, and she couldn't do that. She said no, she'd stay with her answers. Well, the nasty remarks started until the teacher stopped them and announced that she was the only one in a class of 30 kids who had the right answer. All the kids were amazed, and the teacher even gave them all an extra long recess. And when I read that, I do, do they even have recesses in school anymore? I don't know. Anyway, so how and why did she have the right answer? Because in her own way, she had studied her little book that she loved so much. Neither the teachers or her parents ever caught on that she, was actually, that she actually had a learning problem. It's like when you might say someone fell between the cracks. Fast forward through many good, bad, and ugly years, she got saved in midlife. God brought a Christian man into her life, and later they got married. He helped her so she could eventually read, not well at first, but little by little. Through the years, she was able to do pretty well. Later in life, she realized she wasn't stupid. She wasn't dumb. She wasn't unworthy or any other names that she had been called at home or in school. She also learned she had a learning disability called dyslexic and a memory disorder. From day to day and moment to moment, she never knew what she was going to remember or what she might forget. She is now pushing 90 and very faithful to read her Bible every morning, which she loves. She still has a reading problem, and most of the time she doesn't remember what she read, but she enjoys it at the time, okay? <laughs> she remembers some things and recognizes others when she hears her pastor preaching or others talk about the Lord. Her faith is in Jesus Christ, and he knows, and she knows. She, he loves her, even in her imperfections, and she prays and waits for her complete healing. Some of her life was good, some was bad, and some very ugly. Some of you might say, well, that's life, and that's true. Bible says that we will have trials and tribulations, and hers started very young. Maybe you can relate, or maybe you haven't had any bad or ugly times yet. Let me tell you, they're coming. God is talking to the lazy, stubborn, prideful people in his churches today, ones that think they can play games with him ones who think they can make it because they come to church and open their Bibles once in a while, and ones that haven't surrendered all of their life to him, even if they've been saved for a long time. One day, one day, you'll be asked an important question. You'll have to make a choice. You better have the right answer. It could make the difference between where you spend eternity in heaven with God or in hell without God. God's word shows he loves us, but he also warns us. He stands at the door knocking and waiting for us to open it. He wants you to know he loves his word and love it, just like the little girl knew her book and loved it. Our world is going to be going through some dark times. It's going to get ugly, very ugly. It's going to be, from the fall of Lucifer to the deception of Eve, we have been in a spiritual war, and it will continue until Jesus' second coming. God warns us of things to come. When you're hurting, it's easy to be tempted to give up, 
Temptation can be very strong. We need to have a dedicated, committed, and obedient life in the Lord. Each one of us is going to need the Lord full time in every area of our life. That means putting him first, and, some, and for some that's going to be pretty hard, and others it means a complete change of your lifestyle. In the story, the little girl represents us. The parents represent the unbelievers. And the classmates represent evil in the world. And the little book, guess, it represents the Bible. He, God loves us. He wants you to fall in love with him and his word. You need to realize he loves each and every one of us in our own imperfections. Please understand we each have to know God, his promises, and the authority that he gives, has given us. Don't compare yourself with the world. Compare yourself with the word of God. And there's so much more that can be said about this. There's just gobs and gobs of things in the Bible that go along with this. But he wants you to stop comparing yourself and get serious. Amen. Let's give Sandy another hand. So God wants us to be serious. Leo Tolstoy has a quote. says, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. I'm going to be talking about Caleb, the Israelites, and you. Fortified cities, giants, and grasshoppers. So I, I mentioned some of who Caleb was. But Caleb had been given a promise, along with the other Israelites, of, of this rest. They were going to enter this land, and there was going to be rest. It was good news that they all had received. And they get there. God delivers them out of Egypt, out of their bondage, and they, and they get to the promised land. And they see things. This is what they saw. They saw the people that there were strong. The cities were fortified. That there were giants in the land. And ten of the spies that they sent out came back and said, We seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so, and so we seem to them. But it says, Caleb quieted them, them, them down. And I picturing Caleb because he was... A passionate guy. I don't think it was like, hush, shh, I, I think it was like, shut up. Stop, stop, be quiet. He said he quieted him down. And he said, let us go up at once to occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And the other man said, we are not able for the men are stronger. And Israel listened to the other men and rebelled against God. Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes. Then they tried to stone Joshua and Caleb. And they had to wander the wilderness for 40 years. And I wonder with Joshua and Caleb what that was like to wander in the wilderness. For, for somebody else's sin. I, I think maybe if it was me, it'd take the first 10 years to forgive them. Like I'd be, okay. Caleb, you cut in line. Well, you cut off my promises. 
It, it would take me a while to forgive. I don't know how long it took Caleb, probably a better man than me, but in that time, his zeal did not die. He still, because he knew no sin of man can cut us off from the promises of God. He said, God has promised me this land. So when they get to the promised land again, and, and I think he was going to the next generation and going, hey, don't mess it up. We've got this. Our God is great. Because both Caleb and the, and the other spies had the, heard the same promise, and they saw the same giants. One of them focused on the bigness of the giants. The other focused on the greatness of his God. And for us, when we get saved, we get delivered from Egypt. We go, and there's this great time where we go, oh, man, my life is going to be peace, joy, excitement the rest of my life. And then we start to walk out things, and we go into that promised land, and we realize there's still giants there. We go, God, you've promised us peace. My struggle with this sin right now, this temptation that's not going away, that doesn't feel like peace. My marriage does not feel like peace right now. But God says, hey, hold to my promises. There was a time about three years ago that God told Stacy to, to write out her dream house. And she wrote it out. She just said, boom, boom, boom. And he said, and just give it to me. He didn't say believe me for it. He said, give it to me. And so she wrote it out in her journal. She gave it to him. Then a house comes for sale. And we don't know whether to get it because there were 30 cats living in it before us. You could smell it from the curb. But we go and we just we feel like, hey, this is, this is what God has. And Stacey looked at her journal from a couple, a couple of years before. And, and in it, uh, that house had everything. That there was about twenty things that you wrote out, give or take. I don't I don't know the specifics, but it had everything in it except one, which was wisteria, which we can plant. But it, but he gave he gave her the promise. But there was a lot of urine attached to it. <laughs> and sometimes in our lives, God is giving us the promises, but with the Israelites, he was like, okay, I'm going to give you the, this promise, but there's, there's going to be some work. God says, I'm going to transform your heart. And we go, thank you, God, transform my heart. Hallelujah. He said, okay, but there's going to be some work. Let's, uh, that, that sin you've been hiding, how about you start confessing it to some people? That little bit of unkindness that you have, that's not unkindness, that's selfishness, and repent. And he starts to point out the things. And we go, Egypt doesn't look so bad anymore. The writer of Hebrews and talks about 
the promised rest, the good news that God was going to give the Israelites and how many of them failed to enter it. How they were right there, but the problems looked too big for them. And then in Hebrews 4, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read Hebrews 4, 1 through 2. We're going to read a couple other scriptures in Hebrews 4. It says, therefore, he's talking to us, but he's talking about Israel. It says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So knowing the truth, knowing the gospel, does you no good if you don't act on it. That's why it says faith without works is dead. If I tell Ken, there's a bomb underneath your seat, and he says, hallelujah, I have faith that you are right. But he stays on that seat, he's going to get blown up. If he really has faith that there's a bomb underneath his seat and he needs to get up, he's going to be running and telling everybody else. Hebrews 4, 6 through 7 continues on. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. So what is God calling you to do today, right now? What part of your heart is he working on? If you don't know, that's the first thing to do that he's calling you to do is figure out what he's calling you to do. What part of your heart is he wanting to work on? Because when we're saved, we get delivered out of Egypt and led to the promised land. But we get there and we see giants. We see the fortified cities. And we have a choice how we're going to respond. Hebrews 4, 11 through 13 continues. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Strive to enter that rest. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we must give account. So it says strive to enter rest, which strive means to work fast and hard, to make effort, be prompt and earnest. Sometimes we, we, as we walk out the Christian life, we're we're working, God's working towards us getting more peace. But in order to get it, he's got to cut out the false peace that we have. And so sometimes it feels as we're going closer to God that we're, we're losing more peace. And it's tempting to go back to our Egypts. To the things that, that had us bound. And go, man, at least then I was numb. But he says, strive to enter that rest. And what it means is that sometimes it's going to take work to get the promises of God. 
It's going to take facing things. Because the thing that the Israelites didn't realize is if they, when they stepped in, and we see it once they step in, God did the work for them. The striving was the trusting God to take that step and go, okay, there's giants here. I'm still going to step in. If we will take that step of obedience, God will meet us right where we're at. Now, does that mean that it's just going to be nice and easy the rest of our life? We take that first step, and it's like, whew, that's what I thought. There was a time I thought I had totally surrendered to God. You can laugh. There was a time I thought I had totally surrendered to God. I was like, I am good to go. The rest of my life, I'm going to have peace, grace, joy. But God just was peeling back the onion a layer by layer. He was like, okay, I'm going to let you have peace for a little bit. I'll let you live in your delusion. Then we'll, then we'll pull it back and we'll show you where's the next thing. Because God's after our whole hearts. And he's patient. And he's going to walk with us step by step. But he, he's patient to a place. But if he says today, if he has things that he's laying on your heart, if there's sin that you're not confessing, if there's things that you're not, if he's called you to do something and you're walking in disobedience, that's not the patience he's talking about. He's not going to go, okay, well, I understand. It was a really hard day. He's going to say, no, listen to me. This is life and death. God's word that it's talking about, that that's, that sharp two-edged sword is his rhema. It's a spoken word, and it's living and active. So we read the Bible. God wants to speak to us through it. It's not just reading the Bible and getting knowledge up here, but letting God speak to us. What is God saying to you right now? If you don't know, start reading your Bible and ask him. So in each step, in each ground that God is asking you to take, there will be giants. We have a choice. Are we going to be like Caleb or like the rest of Israel? We make that choice each day. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What are our fortified cities? Could be our masks, things we put on to pretend to be good Christian people, or the I'm just okay mask. Our self-protective walls that have been put up because of hurt in our life and our prideful selfishness, unforgiveness, unbelief. What are the giants in the land that God is calling you to? Could be hidden sin. Could be addiction, fear, a lack of agape love, selfishness. Relationships where you have sinned and not made it right. Tough people that God is calling you to. So when we look at those things, if we focus on the enormity of it, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really messed up. If I start looking in my heart without Jesus, it gets really dark. Who's ever tried that? It does, it does not end well. But with Jesus who speaks a better word, I can go in and I can know 
that my God is with me. The Israelites said they looked at these things and then looked at themselves and said, we are grasshoppers. So we can focus on the bigness of the problem or the bigness of our God. When we come face to face with the issues of our heart, if we do this without Christ's strength, that will lead to despair. Because when we think we're just grasshoppers, we don't do things. Someone else can do it better. I'm just going to mess it up anyway. I'm just a grasshopper to them. We don't minister. We don't show up. We don't take risks. Because risks equal chance of failure. As a pastor, I get the honor of walking alongside a lot of people as they take the land that God has promised them. And as as Christians, we get that honor to walk alongside each other and see people take land. And there are two ingredients that I've seen that have led to success. It's humility. God gives grace to the humble and surrender that we are living sacrifices. So again, Leo Tolstoy said, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. Let Christ change you. And then he will change the world through you. As you create a gospel culture within yourself, that will affect everywhere you go. It will affect every relationship. Whatever you don't deal with, you will just pass on to the next generation. But whatever you do deal with, whatever freedom you gain, you can pass on. Revelation says they will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. A lot of times we use that verse to talk about the power of speaking our testimonies. But in order to speak a testimony, we have to have a testimony. And we have a testimony by taking that step into the land. So I want to tell you, don't miss out on what God has for you today. I don't know where everybody is at. Wherever you're at, God is calling you to something. Let's be Caleb's. Amen? What if? What if we as a church let God transform us? God's calling some of you guys to work on your marriage. God's calling some of, some of you to get real. Stop hiding sin. God's calling some of you to ministry, and you're running the other way, like Jonah. So I want to do something to close today. Because we're going to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. And I believe there's some testimonies that are going to start today. If you're here, and you would say, there are some things that God is calling me to that scare me. Maybe there's some things in your life. Maybe there's some, there's, there's some sin you need to confess. Maybe there's a relationship that he's calling you to mend. And, and maybe you've been disobeying or maybe you just are, you're at that point. You got the call today. And, but you're like, you're looking over and you're like, uh, there's giants in the land. There's fortified cities. I don't know how I can do this. I want to give you a quick little secret. We all 
don't know what we're doing. Someone told me once, man, I wish I could have the confidence of Stacy to come up and, and pray and, and speak. And I told them, and Stacy's giving me permission to say th- this, Stacy freaks out. Like she actually, hurt, she has bodily reactions. She gets sick coming up. Well, why does she do it? Because it's the land God's calling her to. She believes his promise that peace is going to come. And because she wants to see other people set free. Because she has been trapped by insecurity a lot of her life. And I'm going to tell you, as someone with a first front row view, it's been beautiful to see God do that work and to see her step out. Uh, So if you're here, you would say, hey, there's things God's calling me to, and I'm scared. Or I've been disobeying, or, I, or I've been running like Jonah. I want you just to stand up where you are. To do, if you're around somebody that's standing, and even if you're not around somebody that's standing, I want you to gather around, and we're going to pray. We're going to believe God, because the promises of God are yes and amen. And we serve a great God who's bigger than any giants.